Our sermon text for today comes from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. This morning we're going to be looking at the topic of suffering. So it's going to make you feel good when you leave out of here today. Hopefully it'll make you feel all right. But as we look at this topic of suffering, we first need to look at Christ. Christ who suffered for us on our behalf. And as since Christ suffered, we'll look at the call to suffer for us as well. We'll also see that Christ died and what that means for us. And finally, see that Christ lives and what that means for you and I here today. And so this morning, as we look at the life of Christ as an example or as one who has gone on before us, let's follow in his footsteps and follow along with me as I read 1 Peter 4, verses 1 through 6. I invite you to stand out of respect for God's word. That's 1 Peter 4, verses 1 through 6, reading in Jesus' name. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached, even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. Father God, these are your words. Your word is truth. Sanctify us this morning in your truth. Lord, help us to look at you, the author and perfecter of our faith this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The letter of 1 Peter is a fairly short letter. It's only five chapters long. It probably will take you maybe about 15, maybe 20 minutes to read through the whole thing. But throughout this book, Peter has an idea of suffering. He has a topic of suffering that he sticks to. Peter writes this book to warn believers of what's coming, what's coming in the days to come. He writes to encourage brothers and sisters of Christ to stand firm in the trials. Eighteen times throughout this letter, he warns them to embrace the suffering that's coming. Our text starts out with these words in 1 Peter chapter 4. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh... And as we look at this topic of suffering, we can't try to understand or even begin to try to understand our suffering without first looking at Christ and what he went through for you and for me. This season of Lent, as we look forward to Good Friday, we remember the suffering that Christ endured all for your sake and for my sake. To name a few things, he was mocked, scorned, rejected, spat upon, hit, whipped, crushed, bruised, cut, ridiculed, crucified. Isaiah says he was beaten beyond recognition as a man. I don't know if you've seen this movie that came out probably a little over a decade ago now, The Passion of the Christ, but the actor who played Jesus during the whipping scene was actually whipped two times, and the first time it knocked the wind out of him, and the second time it hurt so bad that he wrenched his hands out of the shackles that he was wearing, And he eventually said, enough, I'm not going through this anymore. And so they stopped filming that scene and they just animated it from there on out. But this man couldn't handle just two lashes. And Jesus endured being beaten beyond recognition as a man. 
And Jesus didn't tell the people who were persecuting him to stop. But he patiently endured these sufferings. He didn't curse the ones who were beating him, delivering the blows. He didn't utter threats to these people. But like a lamb led to the slaughter, silently took it all for your sake and for my sake. So that as Peter writes, we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. By his wounds you were healed. Christ truly suffered and for no fault of his own. And as Peter writes this letter to believers, he reminds them of this fact that Christ suffered for them. And he prepares them to expect suffering in this life. And Jesus did the same thing when he was still with his disciples. In John, he says, in this world you will have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. In Matthew and Mark, he says, you will be hated by all because of my name. Throughout scripture, Christians are told to expect suffering. Jesus says, the world has hated me, they're going to hate you too as well. Not because they don't like you, but because you stand for me. Because you're living according to me instead of according to this world. So why are Christians persecuted? Why should we expect it? The first reason's already been given, because Christ himself suffered. And if the teacher suffered, how much more should the students be willing to suffer as well? But the second reason is because of the way that Christ has called us to live. In verses 3 through 4, Peter says, For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality and lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. And in all of this, they're surprised that you don't run with them anymore, that you don't go into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. All that to say, the time that you spent in your former lives, the time that you've already spent sinning, it's enough. It's sufficient. You don't have to go back to it again. And as you turn your back on those sins, the world doesn't take too kindly to that. Leave these sins in the past. Don't go back to them. When I was in high school, I, 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 well, I guess you, you categorize people in high school, right? And that's, that's what we do. It's human nature. We try to understand people. And so you've got the goody two-shoes. You've got maybe the music kids, the choir kids, the acting kids, the athletes. And you've got the partiers, the ones who live for the weekend, who don't care so much about school but just want to know where the next party is. And they do all of these things that were listed here at these parties. And we think, okay, this is what high school is all about. If you look at culture, if you look at TV, this is what high school is portrayed as. And if you think that's not high school, wait till you get to college. How much more so it's intensified by our culture today. This is the expectations. This is why you go to college. More people are going to college for experiences rather than education these days. But for all these people who live for the weekends, for all these people who go to college for this time of partying, I, as I go back home, I'm made aware of classmates of mine who still haven't left this stage of their lives yet. We've graduated from high school for 10 years, and they're still doing these things. Part of me says, isn't it time to move on? Isn't there more to life than just living for the weekend, which you're going to forget about anyways? There's more. But yet, this is <laughs> something that is countercultural. That's not what TV tells you about. That's not what they want to hear. And for people who are coming out of this lifestyle of living for the weekends, how easy is it to turn your back on that? and say, sorry, I can't party today, I've got other things that I need to do. It's not easy. Everyone turns their back on you and shuns you. 
Or they start saying, you're a goody two-shoes. What are you, too good for us now? It happens. This is some of the tension that exists in school today. Tension to fit in with the crowd, not to stick out, not to judge other people by your actions of simply not condoning the activities that they do. There's more pressure in school these days than just on test days. And that pressure continues on into the real world as well. As we go into our jobs, into our workforces, it exists with coworkers. There's pressure to live like the world. There's a saying in Japan that says, the nail that sticks out gets the hammer. And for those of you who have done any carpentry work, for those of you who have random nails sticking out in your house, that's what you do, right? You take the hammer to it and say, get back to where you belong. And this is what culture wants to do with those who live differently than the way culture expects us to live. You stick out, get the hammer. Blend in with everybody else. And for the Christian, God calls us to live apart from this world, to be transformed, to be renewed, not to live as we lived before. And so when you live for Christ, you will suffer. You will be treated differently. When you're on fire for the Lord, it makes people uncomfortable. And it even makes other believers uncomfortable too. Why? The answer is because we don't recognize, we don't want to recognize our own shortcomings, right? We want to think that we're doing okay. A Christian's life, the life that God has called us to live is a life against the flow. It's, against, it's resisting sin and temptation, sinful living, and just to focus on Christian living, to focus on living every day, every moment for Jesus Christ, not for ourselves. We tell ourselves that if I'm not the only one doing this activity, then it's okay. Or if the rest of the world is doing this, it's okay. It's, it's normal. It's not bad. But what does God's word say about this activity? Peter says, the time that you've already spent in this is sufficient. Don't go back to these things again. Instead, live for Christ. And Paul writes these words in Galatians, Am I seeking the favor of men or am I seeking the favor of God? Am I still striving, striving to please men? If I were still striving to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. As we live our lives for Christ, it's not a life that we spend trying to blend into society here, but it's a life blending into how God's word has called us to live. And as we live our lives in this way, suffering is normal. Suffering should be expected because it's not how the world wants us to live. And the nail that sticks out will be hit by the hammer. And I understand for those who want to just blend in. I understand those who want to just be viewed as normal. I just want to be normal. I just want to blend in with the rest of people. And yet, here coming to a, a new town, a new place, making friends, saying, oh, I'm the new pastor in town. Everybody wants to befriend the local pastor, right? Not so much. Because coming with a pastor is the guilt trip that comes every time you see his presence, right? If I knock on your door and show up someday, you're just like, oh, no, quick, clean up the house, pastor's here. <laughs> Thanks for not coming to our door. <laughs> uh, it doesn't happen when I knock on the door at home. Hannah doesn't try to clean up, but we still have to keep it clean. But anyways, there's this necessary, not necessary, but there's this guilt trip when, when the pastor comes or when another believer comes and sees you in your everyday life. Is, do we feel guilty for not living the way that God has called us to? Well, we probably should in the first place. I don't want to be that guilt trip, but at the same time, I need to be that guilt trip in my own life as well. So that this is what God has called me to live. Live in a way that is pleasing to him. 
Am I living trying to please man or am I trying to live to please the Lord? And Christ suffered so we could live for him and turn from sin. And as we live our lives the way that he has called us to, we should expect this suffering as well. And the question again comes, who are we trying to please? Man who is temporary and who will only last for so long or God who is eternal and God who has the power to not only take away the body but to judge you and send you to hell as well, who is everlasting. But suffering for the sake of Christ and for the sake of the gospel, this is what our lives should be about, not just trying to blend in, but so that all might know who Jesus Christ is and be saved. Our text today says this, 1 Peter 4, verse 1, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with this same purpose. Arm yourselves also with this same purpose. For a soldier who arms himself for battle, he puts on a whole lot of extra weight, doesn't he? Because he's got to be ready for every situation. Peter is saying here, arm yourselves for the suffering that is coming. And the question comes, how do we arm ourselves? Is it loading up on a bunch of painkillers? Is it trying to uh, callous ourselves to pain so that we become accustomed to it? No, that's not what it is. But it's thinking of Jesus Christ and what he has gone through for you on your behalf. It's spending more time learning what he said in his word, learning about this blessed hope that we have and holding on to that hope. To stay strong in the faith, to hold on to Christ. This is what Peter is saying. And yet nobody likes suffering, do we? Every time we go through a, a trial, whether it's small or large, we say, God, please take this away from me. I'm done. I'm ready for it to be over with. It's been five minutes or it's been five years. Take it away. We want it to end. We wonder when will it end, and we pray that God would bring an end to it in his mercy. And the good news is that God has brought an end to suffering. He does. It doesn't last forever. It won't last forever. Jesus Christ was one who suffered fully and completely, giving the ultimate sacrifice. As Peter writes and says, as Christ suffered, he's not just keeping in mind the things that Jesus went through when he lived on this earth, but he's keeping in mind his crucifixion as well, his death as well. Christ fully tasted suffering. He experienced it in every way, as you and I have and do, and even more so, because he was without sin. But as we look at the text, what does it say? Does it say, as Christ is suffering? It doesn't say as Christ is suffering, does it? It says, as Christ has suffered. It's past tense, meaning Christ is no longer suffering anymore. Meaning for we as believers, there is a period where we are called to suffer, to endure whatever it is that life throws our way for the sake of the gospel. But there is a promise that suffering will not last forever, but that it ends. And so, Endure whatever it is. The worst that man can do is kill the body or maybe torture you for however amount of time. And I'm not saying that's easy. I'm not saying that's fun or enjoyable by any means. But keep in mind eternity and how much longer eternity is than anything here on this earth. Jesus says, don't be afraid of those who kill the body and after have no more that they can do. But I warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who is able to cast into hell. Yes, Fear him. When Peter tells his readers to arm themselves with the same purpose, he's telling them to be ready to give up everything, whatever it is, whatever the cost, to serve Christ. Because at the end of the day or at the end of your suffering, you still have the most important 
thing in all of the world, in all of eternity. And that's the inheritance. As Peter says, is imperishable, is undefiled, is never fading, is waiting in heaven for you. It's reserved for you, you who are being protected by the power of God. This is the thing that man, no matter how bad he is, no matter what he does to us, cannot take away from you or me. It's eternal life with Jesus Christ, and that lasts forever. And so in light of eternity, we ask ourselves a question, what is suffering here on this earth? We tend to live as though this life is it. And so we say, make the most because you don't know what tomorrow has. Carpe diem, seize the day, seize the moment. I think back of, of all the times in my schooling growing up, eighth grade, the end of eighth grade, we had a dance in the gym. And this was the culmination of middle school, this hour-long dance in the gym. And this is what everything came down to at the end. And at like, the end of it, we were signing yearbooks and things like that, saying, don't ever change, as if moving, what was it, 300 meters to high school was going to change everything. For you in eighth, Jenna, it's not going to change everything. <laughs> it's the same school. Um, and then going to high school, you go on and, and live high school, say, get involved with everything that you can because these years are short and these years are great. They're the best years of your life. And there is some truth to that. You don't have so much homework. You don't have so much responsibility. You don't have bills to pay, all that stuff. You can live carefree. And then it comes to prom. As people say, the best night of your life. Really? I'm sorry. I mean, it, it's fun. I went to one. It was a good time. Was it the best night of my life? That was 12 years ago. Thankfully, there's been many highs since then that were better than that. But it's, we live as though this life is everything that there is. We live to enjoy the moment, to find the most pleasure, whatever gives us the most joy for this moment, because life is short. But Peter says, life is short on this earth, yes, but eternity is forever. And whatever it is that you're going through right now is so much less than what heaven is waiting for you. So don't live as though this is it, but live for the hope of eternity. And so endure suffering. Don't just chase after pleasure from pleasure to pleasure, from experience to experience to experience, but seek after the Lord. Paul says to live is Christ and to die is gain. And for those who are believers, for those who've taken a glimpse of heaven to see what it is, how much greater that is than this world has to offer. Now, things here are great in this world, right? We get to see a bunch of things, travel, experience, do all kinds of different things that we maybe have never thought possible, and it's fun and it's exciting. But heaven is going to be worth so much more. When we get to heaven, we're going to look back and say, really, I wanted to stay for that? Compared to this, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Peter encouraged us to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God, knowing what is in store for us and putting up with whatever suffering that we have. Suffering and death are things that we encounter in this life here on this earth. And we look forward to the end. We look forward to the end of pain and suffering, don't we? As though this is an escape. And it is an escape, but we look forward to it more than just an escape because we know what comes next. This is why we look forward to when Christ calls us home because we know it's so much better than anything this world has to offer. Jesus says in Revelation, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. For believers, after death comes life. And Jesus suffered 
and died when he was here on this earth. The question I have for you today is where is he now? Is he still dead? Is he still in the grave? No. And praise God he isn't. Praise God Easter has happened and we celebrate this time during this year, during this season of this year. Christ is alive and that's what Easter is all about. It proves that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. It proves that Jesus is no longer dead, but that he lives. It proves that he really is God's son. He truly is God in the flesh and his word can be trusted. It proves that there is life after death and it proves ultimately that there is more. There is more. Peter writes in verse 6, For the gospel has for this purpose been preached, even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. I have to admit, the first time I read that, I understood it to mean the gospel being preached to those who are dead right now. I was trying to scratch my head and thinking, what does this mean? Do I go practice my sermons in the the graveyard? That doesn't make any sense. But as I looked into it more and studied it more, I found out what the verse is really actually saying. It's not saying, go preach to the dead. It's saying the message of the gospel has been preached already in the past. Not while they were dead, but when they were alive. And as this gospel has been preached to them, and as they believed this gospel, though they have been judged by men, and though man has killed them because they deemed them unfit for life, whether they are martyred for whatever it is, but since man has judged them, even though they may be dead, they are alive in the Spirit. This is the reason why the gospel is preached, so that we live for something more, that even if man kills us, even if man separates our soul from our body by taking our bodies away, we still live in the spirit. For this reason, Peter says, the gospel has been preached so that we don't have to worry about just living for this life here on earth, but we know the hope that we have for eternity. In this life, we will suffer, we will be ridiculed, we will experience mocking. It can be disheartening. It may even cost us our lives. But since Christ lives, so will we. This is the promise of Easter. This is the promise of Scripture. This is the promise of the hope of the resurrection. And we will live for all eternity. There's still one more point that I need to make with dealing with this text, and I'm not really sure where it fits in here. But verse 5 says this, But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For all of those who are mocking believers today, for those who are persecuting Christians today, they too will have to answer to the judge for their actions. It's a sobering reality that life after death isn't just for believers. We are raised again to life to spend an eternity with heaven. But those who have been judged, those who have rejected God's Son, those who don't know Jesus Christ will also be resurrected to a judgment to experience unending agony in hell. This is the truth. This is what scripture says. And it's a sobering reality for us. For us, as we're enduring suffering, if I'm honest with myself, and if we're honest with ourselves, it brings us a sense of justice, doesn't it? Knowing that whatever suffering comes my way, God's going to get them for what they've done. And that makes us feel a little bit better. But at the end of the day, we shouldn't wish hell on anybody. Jesus never wished hell on anybody. He didn't create hell for people to go to. It was reserved for Satan and his demons. 
But yet those who deny Christ, those who don't believe in him, they will also be judged for their sin for all eternity in hell. When Christ was suffering the most, when he was on the cross, what were those words that he said? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He's not saying, God, smite them for what they're doing. He's saying, God, I don't want them to go to hell. This is why I'm here on the cross. Forgive them. They don't know what they do. What were the words that Stephen said, the first martyr, as he's being stoned? Lord, do not hold this sin against them. They don't know what they're doing. Because Jesus knows what hell is like. Stephen knew what hell was like, and he wasn't wishing that on anybody. And we, as believers, also know as we study Scripture what hell is like, and we shouldn't wish that on anybody. And so as we endure suffering, we endure it for the hope of the resurrection, for the hope that there is something more for us as believers. But as we go through suffering, let our experiences also be changed by the truth that those who are causing us to suffer, that those who are persecuting us will one day also be judged if they don't know Jesus Christ. And let us patiently endure this suffering and let us proclaim Christ and him crucified, the hope that these people who are causing us to suffer, that these people who are putting Christians to death could one day be reconciled with God for the sake of Christ so that they don't have to spend eternity in hell, but they can spend eternity with us praising God in heaven. Peter says, Therefore, since Christ suffered, also arm yourselves with this purpose. When we endure suffering at the hands of whatever it may be here on this earth, I'd encourage you, Peter would encourage you, to think of Christ and his suffering. And not just to think of what Christ went through, but also to think of why Christ went through what he went through. So that you and I can have a blessed hope of eternity in heaven. So that we could live for something more. Father God, we thank you for the hope that you have brought us. Lord, we thank you that we can live for something more, that there is more to this life than whatever experiences that we have. Thank you, Jesus, for this work that you have done for us, this calling that you have given us, for the home that you are preparing for us even now in heaven, reserving it for us, Lord. We pray that you would help us to keep in mind eternity, Lord, to keep in mind heaven, to keep in mind what you have went through so that we could be saved. Father, help us to bring this message of salvation to all of those around us as well. Those who are lost, who need to be saved, Lord, help them to see you in our suffering. Help us, Lord, to proclaim you, and you crucified and risen again for the salvation of men. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.